So today, Romans chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, and you know what? I hope you do. Romans chapter 8, verse 17 is where we're going to pick up. We're going to start talking about this issue of, of just transformation. And you know what? I, I just need to kind of lay all the cards out on the table so we kind of understand where we're going. Because whenever I start talking about this subject that a lot of times things get really tense. Things got really tense Saturday night. Things got kind of tense uh, early service. And, and because it's just the subject matter that just call it. You see, this is the reason, just so you know, this is the reason I preach through chapters. I preach through books of the Bible. I preach uh, verse by verse. And it's for this reason, because as a pastor, there are some subjects that you get totally excited about and totally stoked about. Just You just want to preach that. And if you're not careful, you'll preach the same stuff over and over. You just preach the stuff you like. And, but sometimes we got to preach things that, you know what, that are a little awkward. And so that's why we preach through verses and through chapters and through books here. And so I'm going to talk to you this morning about transformation and, and that God wants to transfer, uh, transform you through your suffering. See, all of us, we want to be transformed in some way. Fact is, the economy is driven by transformation. I don't know if you know that, but economy is driven by people that want to be transformed, people that want to transform their image, people that are want to want to transform their looks. So whether it's clothes, whether it's whether it's cosmetic surgery, whether it's other enhancements, people want to be transformed. They they may want to transform their image, so it may be a, a type of car that they drive, it may be a type of house that they buy, it may be an area they want to be transformed. So it could be hobbies, it could be all these different things, but our economy is driven behind this fact that people want to be transformed. But the thing is that we really know is this, is that yes, people want to be transformed, but there's a lot of people that they don't want to live the disciplined life to be transformed. You know, yes, I'd like to transform my body, but you know what? I don't want to have to give up ice cream or I don't have to give up cake or I don't want to have to sweat and I don't want to have to be disciplined and exercise. And so there's a lot of people that say, you know what? Yes, I want to be transformed, but I want the shortcut. I want the easy way to be transformed. Well, listen, let me tell you something. The same principle is true in the spiritual life as well, that there are a lot of Christians that want to be transformed and they want that deeper understanding of God. They want that intimacy with God. But you know what? They're saying the same thing. They're saying, yes, I want to be transformed. But guess what? I want a shortcut. I don't want anything that causes me pain. I don't want to live a disciplined life. I don't want anything that causes me to live a different life or make some changes in my life. Yes, I want to be transformed, but I want to be transformed in the comfort of my home. Whether I read a little devotional magazine and maybe a tear well up in my eye and I thought, oh, how sweet. And then all of a sudden, God will transform me. But I don't want any hurt. I don't want any pain. I don't want any suffering. And let me tell you, today we're going to talk about this uncomfortable subject of this issue of that God wants to transform us through our suffering. Now, when I mention that, I know what happens in a congregation because all of a sudden, all kinds of emotions start raising to the surface about your personal suffering, whether it's from childhood whether it's from a broken marriage, whether it's through a health issue, whether it's through finances, whether it's through a company, whether it's through the con, whatever. All these emotions start coming. And, and, and I'm telling you, Saturday night after the service, those of you who teach know what I'm talking about. But there's sometimes that the teacher becomes the student and the student becomes the teacher. And it happened to me Saturday night. And after the Saturday night service, I had... A young adult, 
ask you if she could speak with me privately. And so we went in my office, and she was, she was born with a handicap, a disability. She was deaf. And she says, you know what? I know what it means to suffer. I have suffered my entire life. And she says, can we talk about this issue of suffering? And I says, I'd love to. And she says, from my perspective, because I've suffered my entire life and she was mature way beyond her years, I promise you. She said, the reason that adults, the reason that people struggle with suffering is, is because you lose total control. People with control issues and people that want to control everything in their life and every aspect of their life, she says, when they suffer, when they go through difficulties, they struggle because they realize for the first time in their life they're out of control. See, they've lived in denial their whole life. See, I've always known that. But people that suffer in life come to this point to all of a sudden they realize that, you know what, I'm not in control and I cannot control my circumstances and I cannot control the situations. So people with these issues of control in their life, they struggle because they so much want to be in control that that they struggle with with God transforming their suffering into his glory. She says it's also an issue of pride. I mean, a lot of people, that the reason that they struggle in this issue of suffering is because they're so prideful that they don't want to have to admit that, God, I need your help. God, I can't control this situation. I can't force it. I can't make it happen. I have to have you in this situation. She says, but the same thing is true about that pride issue. They don't want to have to admit that they need anybody in their life. They don't want to have to admit that they need a church. They don't want to have to admit that they need a life group or people that come around them and pray for them. And so they live a life of denial. She says, there are some people that I see, there's some people that I've talked to that have been in church all of their life and they're suffering and they're going through this area of denial in their life and they walk into a church and they act like everything's great and they got their uh, everything together and everything is working out for them when inside they are living a painful life. She says, how painful must church be for them when you just can't come to a worship service and a gathering and let the barriers drop and connect directly with him. I'm telling you, last night I became the student and she was the teacher. This morning I am going to talk to you about this issue of suffering. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. And let me tell you something. I only got one point for you this morning. But thank, thank the Lord this sermon isn't pointless. Okay? So I have a point, and we're going to flesh this out all the way through. Here's the truth. We'll walk through Scripture together. We'll see how it unfolds together. And then I am asking God to do healing in our lives this morning and an understanding about this issue of how he wants to transform us through the difficulties in life and through our hurt in life and through our pain in life. The principle is this. God wants to transform your suffering if you will let him. See, there's conditional and unconditional promises of God. And this would, be an un, this would be a conditional promise of God. Listen, God wants to transform your pain, your hurt, your suffering, if you'll let him. God never wa- wastes a hurt. God never wastes a pain. But you can. And I can. 
Fact is, we can shut down the transformation process in our life through suffering when we just kind of wall off or we just kind of go into denial, denial or we just shut down. Listen, I wish I could stand up here before you this morning and tell you that God has transformed me in deeper ways through the celebrations of life than he has suffering. But I'm telling you, God has done more in my life. God has stripped more away from my life that just needs to go, whether it's in my personality or, or, or whatever, through, the, through earthquakes in my life that have shaken me to the core and shaken me to my foundation to where I could no longer be in denial. And I had to admit some things. Verse 17, here's what the scripture says. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. Yes, there is suffering in the Christian life. Just because you're suffering right now does not have to mean that you're out of the will of God. That God is judging you. We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Verse 18, for I consider, that word consider is very, very important in the Greek. That word consider is where we get our English word computer. It means to analyze. It means to calculate. It means to inspect. So Paul is saying, you guys need to calculate. You guys need to understand For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And Paul is saying that we need to understand that the suffering that we are going through in this present time, in this present age, is not even worth comparing, not even worth talking about to what is going to be revealed to us. One day, you see, by Paul, using this word, consider, Paul has let us in on a secret. Paul has let us in on a principle. Paul has told us that the key to your suffering, the key to my suffering, the key to our suffering that transform us is our perspective. If you have the right perspective, if I have the right perspective, you and I can walk through anything. And Paul is saying that it is so critical that you and I have the correct perspective when we walk through hurt and pain and difficulties in life. The fact is, he uses three words, and I've told you that when you, when you, when you study Scripture, when you understand Scripture, that, that the, the Greek writers, a, a style of writing that they had in their time, if they wanted to emphasize something, if they wanted you to get something, then it was they used it in repeated words. And so as we walk through this, we're going to see three words that kind of come to the surface that Paul begins to repeat. Hope, wait, groan, or groanings. And we're going to talk about each one of those. Watch this. Let's look at the first, the word, the word hope. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. All of a sudden that word comes to the surface. Drop down to verse 24 with me. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? Listen, you know what Paul is saying? You want to you stop the process? You want to get discouraged? Look at your circumstances. 
He's saying, don't put your hope in the circumstances. Don't put your hope in the situations. Don't put your hope in the things that you are going through. Who hopes in what they see? Who hopes in what is going on? And Paul is cautioning us because a lot of times people lose hope because they look at their circumstances. You you know how you know? You know how that I know when I've lost total hope is when I so focused on my circumstances, I don't believe the situation is going to get any better. I don't believe that, that the You know what gives us anxiety in life is when we calculate our future without God intervening. And Paul is bringing us to this point to where we understand what what hope is. And he, he, he goes on and he says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. Man, I hate that word wait. And not only do we wait for it, but we wait for it how? We wait for it patiently. You see, if you're like me, I do not mind waiting as long as I can complain about it, right? I mean, when when you're in the checkout line at the hardware store, the grocery store, and you're thinking, you know what? Hello, open up another line type deal, or or it's taking her forever to change the ribbon in 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 the cash register or whatever. You know what? You just notice this the next time that happens with you. Nobody minds waiting if we can, as long as we can complain about it. And so people will start complaining. Well, don't they know they need more registers? Don't they know? Doesn't she know how to change that? She acts like she's never changed that paper before. And so we don't mind waiting as long as we can complain about it, right? Now, we've been life journaling together. And if you don't know what that is, we do that together. And you can find more information out in the, the information kiosk. And they can guide you in that. But we've been life journaling together. And we've been looking at numbers and Joshua and the Exodus and all these other things. Can I just tell you this? God takes our grumbling and our complaining very seriously. Do you realize that when you're in a situation of suffering and you grumble and we complain, do you realize that is an offense to God? Basically, do you realize what we're saying? God, we don't trust you. God, you you have no clue. You have no clue what you're doing. Look back through that, your life journaling, and look back through your notes, and you'll see that principle every time. See, we don't mind waiting a lot of times is as long as we can complain about it. I, I never forget. I don't know if you've spent any time in, in uh, an emergency room. I've spent a lot of time in emergency rooms because I was raised in Texas. And uh, we said, watch this a lot. And uh, I was, was, had been running trot lines with a group of buddies and friends. And you know what? I don't even know if that's illegal in Colorado because... Um, so, because you just catch just a lot of fish. It's a long line that you run and you drop treble hooks off of it. You bait the hooks. And so you could just catch a boatload of fish. And so there's a little bit of thought about game and fish laws between Colorado and Texas. And, and so you like your stuff and you want to keep your stuff. We eat our stuff in Texas. And so, so it's kind of how it is. And so we were running trot lines. And so about midnight, because uh, you, you run them throughout the night. And about midnight, I got this ginormous uh, um, treble hook stuck in my finger. Now, I lost my man card that night because all my buddies are saying, you know what, we'll cut the barb off and just run the hook back through. And I said, not with my finger, you're not. And so uh, I got in the truck and I headed to the emergency room and I'm sitting in, in the waiting room. And I don't, know if you, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this, but it's something that they call triage. And so you go to the waiting room, got a hook in my finger and, and they're taking the guy with a heart attack before you. 
or the guy with a gunshot wound or, or the guy in the car accident, lady in the car accident. And so all of a sudden, you know what? But, but, he, but here's something that I learned that night, that when we suffer, we believe our suffers, suffering is greater than anybody else's suffering. I'm sitting in a waiting room of an emergency room and I am believing the hook in my finger is worse than anybody else's suffering. And let me tell you something, we do that in life, right? And we're watching, we're watching the nurses and we're watching them take someone else ahead of us. And if we're not careful, we can get frustrated. If we're not careful, we can get discouraged. And so what Paul says, we wait, but we wait patiently. Listen to this. We don't understand that word wait. In the Greek, that word wait, it meant like this. We scan the horizon expectantly. We scan the horizon expectantly when God is going to show up, when God is going to take care of the situation and begin to transform our sufferings into his glory. I mean, I'm telling you, when I sat there with a hook in my finger, I am, I am so focused on the door that the nurse comes out of, and I cannot wait for her to call my, and I cannot wait for her to call my name. And you know what? When we go through suffering, man, we cannot wait for God just to call our name. And the thing that gives us so much stress and the thing that I wanted to know in the emergency room is when. There's something about us that we just want to know how long. It's a control issue. See, if someone tells us that, you know, you're only going to have to suffer for a month or two months or six months, we figure we can suck it up and we can make it through it. But when it's open-ended, we lose total control. It's an issue of control. It's an issue of pride. It's an issue of trust. And so he says, we not only hope, we not only wait, but then he says, there's groaning involved. And he goes through and says, creation groans and, and we groan. And the Holy Spirit groans. We have to understand that this morning. Verse 22, here's what the scripture says. For we know. Now, just stop right there. That word, those two words, we know, is really the definition. We are confident. Man, we are confident. It's not we hope in our circumstances, we hope in our situations. No, our hope is in nothing temporal. And he goes on and says, we have this confidence and so we know. So what do we, have? What do we know? For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So Paul is saying, okay, so it's not only us groaning for the return of Christ, us groaning when everything is set right, but it's creation. Paul is comparing, this is just so huge. Paul is comparing creation to us. Paul is comparing that creation is groaning for the return of Christ. The same as us. Paul is saying, and please hear this, That there is purpose 
behind the struggle. There is purpose behind the groaning. The same way that there's labor pains in childbirth, there's purpose behind that. There's a birth of new life. Paul is saying to us, we can get through anything as long as we have the right perspective. Some of you need to hear this this morning. And I can say it with great confidence. There is purpose behind your pain. There is transformation. When God made the world, the world was perfect. The fact is, God said it was good. And then when he created man and woman, he said it's very good. And it was perfect. And then through Adam and Eve, sin entered the world and the world's been decaying and the world's getting worse. I mean, the world's not evolving, we're de-evolving. And we know that, right? I mean, you just have to listen to the news. You just have to listen to what's going on in the world. And, but our world is decaying. And yes, I believe that we need to be good stewards of the resources that God gave us. But you know what? When I see people holding up signs and says, uh, save our planet and we can save our planet. Let me tell you something. Only God can save the planet. And the world... It's so wild for me and maybe you to comprehend. But our world, creation, is groaning for the return of Christ. People ask me all the time as a pastor, especially when an earthquake hits or a hurricane, do you believe that that earthquake or that hurricane was a judgment from God on a people group and let me tell you what the Bible says the Bible says this it is just another evidence that creation is groaning for the return of Christ isn't that what Jesus told us but Jesus said you better be able to interpret the signs that when you see a tree and the leaves begin to turn, you know it's the end of one season and the start of a new season. And Jesus said, as the closer it gets to my return, the groanings of creation, famines and wars and earthquakes and hurricanes, sometimes God uses, listen, Please understand this. Sometimes, yes, God uses earthquakes and hurricanes because there's transformation and suffering so that people will turn to him. There's some of you here this morning that God has may have been using suffering 
in difficulty in your life so you will turn to him and you will accept him and that there will be transformation in your life. So, so he says, watch this, so he says, so, so creation groans, but he says, we also groan. Watch this, verse 23. And not only the creation, but, but we ourselves, we have first, uh, who, have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, so we, we groan inwardly as we wait. There's that word again. We wait, looking expectantly as adoptions, as sons, for the redemption of our bodies. So one day our bodies are going to re- be redeemed. For in, in this hope we, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with, with patience. In other words, Paul says when when we groan and when creation groans, it should be another reminder to us that this is not our home. That we are only passing through and there is hurt and there is pain. And one day there will be no more tears and there will be no more death and there will be no more cancer and there will be no more pain and there'll be no more struggles. And listen, I never would stand up before you as your pastor and compare my suffering to your suffering. I would never compare the fish hook in my life to the train wreck in your life or to the the hurt or the pain in your life. And I know some of you in this room, you have gone through deep suffering, whether it came out of your childhood, whether you buried a child way too young, or you buried a loved one, because of cancer, because of other health issues, to where you had some relational pain, to where you personally know the pain of what it was like for a spouse to walk into the room and say, I no longer love you and I no longer want to live with you. To where some of you have known the suffering and the pain of broken relationships at times when you felt so totally out of control. But Paul is saying that creation groans and we groan and we remember when sin entered the world, this is not the way it's supposed to be. But that God can use our suffering. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly and we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons the redemption of our body and what Paul is saying that if you will be led by the Holy Spirit that he will transform you in the process he will transform your suffering to his glory the little girl that I talked to Saturday night I watched it I mean, she brought me such encouragement that God took a disability and so transformed it in her life. She ministered to her pastor last night out of the difficulty and out of the pain out of her life. There are other peoples that talk about what God has done in their life through deep issues and deep hurt and deep pain in their life. So Paul says, creation groans and we groan. Then he makes a strange statement. He says, the Holy Spirit groans. What is up with that? 
Creation groans. We groan. And now he says the Holy Spirit groans in the Greek. It's a different definition for groaning that he used in respect to the Holy Spirit than he uses with creation in us. The one that he uses with the Holy Spirit, he groans out of intimacy and understanding. He sees through your hurt, your pain, your struggle. And he sees the hurt in your heart that you can't even put words to it. You can't even explain it. I don't know if you've ever in your life gone through suffering to the point that you say, God, I can't even put words to this. I don't even know what to pray. I don't even know how to pray. And the Bible says it is the Holy Spirit that understands and intercedes and prays on your behalf. Uh, Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us, what? In our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray. As we ought. We don't have the words. Man, there has been an earthquake in our life that has shaken us to the core. Maybe some theological false beliefs that we had about God. Maybe some deeper understanding that we needed to understand about him. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. How? With groanings. Too deep for words. Can you imagine that? That the Holy Spirit prays for you? Praise for me when we go through times of great difficulty. The Holy Spirit groans on our behalf, looks into our heart and our soul and our and says, I can put words to that. I know what you're going through better than you do. I'll pray. On your behalf. You see, Paul says one day our physical bodies will be transformed. But what about now? He wants to transform us now. And he transforms us spiritually. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, please understand me, he doesn't say all things are good. There's some things that just 
stink. We're in church. That are just rotten. He doesn't say all situations are good. All circumstances are good. But he does say, if you will let me, I will take the things that stink in your life and I'll transform them. You can know. You can know. I will transform your pain and your suffering if you will be led of the Spirit. And so there's a lot of people say, well, okay, okay, so I, so I, I can understand that. I mean, I can understand that for if someone hurts me or going through a difficult circumstance, but what about if I caused it? What about if it was my choice? What if it was a, what if it was a sin issue? What if, what if it's something that, that, that I chose? A little Greek lesson just real quickly. The word all in the Greek means all. If you will let him, and if you will walk differently with him, God will take even your sin that is not good, and he will transform it. and give you an unbelievable testimony that you could say that he is the one that lifted me out of the mire and the mud and he lifted me up on a rock and he forgave me and he transformed my life in such a deep way Romans 8.28 can only be understood reading in the context of verse 29. And I, let's just read them together. We're going to discover the purpose together. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, uh, he also predestined, here's the purpose, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among the many brothers. The purpose, even though we don't like it, it makes us uncomfortable brings a lot of emotion. The purpose of our suffering is to conform us to be like Jesus Christ so that we know he is our all. We know that we can depend on him. It's the Job principle 
See, Job, what the scripture says, was a righteous man. And Job walked with God. And Job, in a matter of hours, lost everything. He lost his income. He lost his health. He lost his job. Uh, he lost his children. He really lost every friend that he had. Even the friends that, that did come around him, they weren't good friends at all. They were times because of your sin that God has done this, you know, and his wife wasn't any help, curse God, die type deal. And Job had a lot of theological questions for God. The why question, why have you allowed this to happen to me? Why have you, after I've followed you and righteous and all of this other stuff, just the why? He had the how long questions. In fact, is at one point, Job got so mad he demanded an answer from God. And God never answered his theological questions. But watch what he gave him. He gave him more of himself. So God can take our emotion. God can take our questions. And what Job ended up with was more of God. See, through suffering, many times we connect to God at a much deeper level. And Job says, all of the years I have heard of you and I've known of you. It was in my hurt, it was in my pain that I have seen you. And I know that I can trust you and that you are good. And God gave Job, not judgment, not how could you say that. God saw beneath the pain. God saw beneath the words, saw his heart and said, you know what you need? You need more of me. This morning, you need more of him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Now let me just ask you, what is God saying to you this morning? And how does God want you to respond to his word? Some of you this morning, you may be going through suffering and God is just wanting to use your suffering and your problems to get your attention. Would you surrender to him today? Would you receive him and ask him to come into your life, forgive you of your sins and start a relationship with him? For those of you that are believers, listen, God never wastes a hurt, but we can and God wants to deepen us and he wants to transform us through our questions and through our hurt and through our pain. Would you come to him this morning and allow him to give more of himself to you, to connect with him at a deeper level, to understand that it's only through him, it's only by him. It's only having the right perspective that we make it through suffering. In just a minute, we're gonna pray for you. And I have no doubt many of you need prayer at this place this morning. So in just a few minutes after I pray, and we're going to stand. You know who you are. I'm confident God's already been speaking. The question is, is how and will you respond to him?